Hello and welcome to the Green Eggs and Sam slash Cane Violation. This is a crossover episode. I'm here with Dan Greeny. Dan, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. We broke a nine-year tradition we had going, and we did not watch the NBA draft together. I was actually flicking back and forth between the draft and baseball. I hate to tell you that, but I missed you too, man. And we'll make up for it another year. I know. So I'm glad we still get to do the podcast. So we didn't even get our five guys. We we this is our tradition. We get five guys right like a few hours before the draft, then we get home, and uh, we pop on pop on the draft, watch first pick. But it'll happen again. Yeah, yeah. Start a new streak at some point. Mm-hmm. Next year. Next year we might actually be at the draft. We'll see. We'll see. Let's hope. That would be totally awesome. That would be cool. It's not too far from us. Only in Brooklyn. So we're going to break this up a little bit. This first episode, we're only going to do the top three picks because this is a really talented draft class and these top three picks look dynamite so let's get right to it paulo bancaro so this was a little bit of a surprise him getting picked here a lot of people were saying jabari smith was gonna be it i think woge leaked that out the day of and then like maybe Half an hour before the draft actually started, he said, "Oh, I'm here in Palo now." So that was that was pretty shocking. Jabari Smith, he looked at, he looked upset actually that he he wasn't picked number one. I, I did notice that a hundred percent. And it's interesting to hear you say that because I definitely picked up on that as well. And this is the kind of conversation that we would have had going back and forth during the draft in other years. But oh yeah, I. 100% noticed Jabari Smith was not feeling great about that. Yeah. You know, it was probably in his head that, oh, man, I'm going to be the next number one pick. And uh, Van Caro is from Duke. Was there any indication during the college season that this guy was going to be number one, or was it always uh, he's he's in the conversation? There were definitely conversations about him being the best player in college basketball, and obviously that doesn't always translate to being the number one pick. Mm-hmm. But I can think back to a couple times where you and I had text message conversations about this guy, and I almost dug into my text messages back in November to try to find one that I sent to you right after Duke and Kentucky played in the opening game of the season. And I'm like, wow, this Paolo Bancaro kid is going to be a star. And at some point, I'll dig up this text from November before I get a new phone here and send, send to you what I sent to you in November. Okay. And you were like, oh, what do you think? Like top 10 type of guy? And I'm, th- I'm like, I'm thinking this guy could go like number one overall. Ooh, okay. And it's I gave you... To me. I also gave you an Anthony Davis comparison. I said, this guy looks to me like Anthony Davis did at Kentucky, except he's got more of a wing game. He's able to make perimeter shots at this point, which Anthony Davis could not do. 
at Kentucky in his freshman year. Now, Anthony Davis was definitely much better on the defensive end than Bancaro is, as it turns out. Mm -hmm. And that comment came after just one game. They're going to be different types of NBA players. But I think Bancaro's trajectory is definitely to be a star in the NBA. He could be an all-star at some point. Now, throughout the season, did it look like he was going to be the number one guy? I remember going back and forth with you in like January or February and saying, there's three guys that look to be a cut above in college basketball right now. And in no order, it was Bancaro, Jabari Smith, and Chet Holmgren. And that's the way it shook out at the end of the day with this draft. I felt like you couldn't have gone wrong with any of the three the whole time. So, yeah, there was definitely some chatter about him possibly number one. But you're right, down to the wire, it looked like it was not going to be him. And another thing that I'd heard about Orlando's situation is that they didn't even have individual workouts with Paolo Bancaro. Like, they worked out Jabari Smith and Holmgren, but Bancaro didn't even work out for the Magic. So it was really out of left field, like you said. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I... I did not see that coming. Definitely not. I did watch him in summer league. Thought he was pretty good. It was pretty good. He, I think it was only two games that he played. They sat him for for the rest of summer league after uh, after only a couple. But I'm, I'm curious to see what the Magic are are gonna do because they have so many young guys. So many. So many former first-round picks. I mean, uh, Cole Anthony, Franz Wagner, Wendell Carter Jr., uh, Jalen Suggs they just got last year. Um, Mo Bamba is coming back. Mark L. Fultz is still there. R.J. Hampton, uh, Chumo Keki. And, I mean, these are just the younger guys. Then you get some of the older guys that are coming back as well. Gary Harris. Who's actually only 27. I, I thought he would be older. And then uh, Terrence Ross, who's 30. So, I mean, all these guys, former first-round picks. It's it's sort of a deep roster, considering that they're probably not going to be the greatest team. Although, we'll see what Paulo can do. Maybe he can really lift these guys. I was curious what the starting lineup would be. So we were talking about this a little bit. I think what we decided was it's probably going to be Cole Anthony at point guard. And then Jalen Suggs at the two. Maybe he can do some ball handling as well. Then at the three, I think they're going to put Franz Wagner. At the four, they'll do Bancaro. And then at the five... I think it's going to be Wendell Carter Jr. Carter's more of a, you know, forward, I'd say. But he can slide into the five. So before they they had Mo Bamba starting most games at center last year, uh, it didn't seem like they were going to bring him back. And they shockingly did. For whatever reason, I don't know. They didn't want to give up on him yet, I guess. But I think he'll be a bench player going forward. How do you think Bancaro's going to mesh with Jalen Suggs, their um, other lottery pick from last year? Or how about with Fogner, too? Because I'd say these three guys, 
Maybe, yeah, maybe. I I mean, I think they're the main three, but then you got Cole Anthony and uh, Wendell Carter Jr., who you want to improve as well. So just pondering that lineup as you're laying it out there like that, one of the first things that comes to mind for me is all the versatility in that lineup. Because you're talking about Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs in the backcourt. You know, whether they play the one or the two, Cole Anthony could totally be a scoring point guard or a distributor. Jalen Suggs could also play the one or the two. And then in the front court, you're talking about Bancaro and Wendell Carter, who have pretty similar like measurables. I think Carter's six eight, six nine, two fifty around there. Bancaro's six nine, six ten, about two fifty. So you got guys in the front court that could guard potentially the four or the five, either of them. And then you got a big wing in Franz Wagner, who's six nine, six ten. He could play the four too. It's like so the, they're starting three power forwards you, almost. You've got a lot of different options, and depending on the matchup for the night, it could probably really vary in the NBA. Who's going to guard who? Who's going to, you know, handle the ball? They could just play matchups. It doesn't have to be the same thing every night for them. And then you talk about a guy like Chuma Okiki from Auburn. That's a very similar player to Wagner as well. Mm -hmm. He's a bigger, probably three-man or a smaller four-man. Also versatile, can play inside, outside. So it seems like they've drafted the right guys. Can they put it together, though, on the court? Mm -hmm. They've got a lot of young talent. It's an exciting team. If I was an Orlando Magic fan... I'd be very excited about this pick and the future of the team. Yeah, I mean it's it's looking good right now. Hopefully they they just develop the right guys. I mean, it's looking like out of the all those young people I just mentioned that maybe it's RJ Hampton that's probably the one that's you know looking shaky right now. His summer league wasn't the best. Um from watching Bancaro, though, in those two games, this is what I, I put together. So it seems like he ha- he had a lot of turnovers, so probably needs to work on playmaking a little more. I mean, th- this is only go. I I haven't watched a single college clip. I'll be honest with you. So this is this guy's brand new to me, really. But yeah, I'd, I'd say working on playmaking. He's very crafty around the basket. I think the Magic have someone very special here. Did did you notice any differences between his play in Summer League and what you saw when he was at Duke? A hundred percent, and you kind of just hit on it right now. Um, What I can see from what you just said, and I watched some of that Summer League as well, and what I saw was that Orlando basically said to him, hey, you're the number one pick in this draft. You're the number one player in this summer league. Go out there and do your thing. Lead this team. Like you said, he had a lot of turnovers, but he had a lot more volume as a potential playmaker than he had at Duke. Whereas at Duke, the way Shashevsky runs that program, it's like you're just another cog in this machine. Like we're not going to give you any kind of special treatment here because look around you you're surrounded by four other first-round picks, potentially. We're not going to treat you any different than anybody else we've had here for the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. But the Orlando Magic said to him in summer, you're the man. Do what you want. 
So mm-hmm. that's what I saw. I think that's part of the reason why he struggled a little bit as far as passing and playmaking. That'll get better, though. Mm-hmm. I think he averaged about like three assists a game at Duke. And in a 40-minute college game, that's probably above average for a star type of player. Like big men in college like that, they're not kicking the ball out to three-point shooters. They're attacking the rim. So he can do it. I wouldn't play him at point forward like they did in summer league, and he won't be doing that too much. No, but no. Like you said, he's crafty around the basket. He can step out and make a jump shot. He's going to be in contention for rookie of the year, for sure, as he should be. Yeah, yeah, he's going to get a lot of playing time right off the bat. I, uh, yeah, he's, he's it, I, I noticed he was trying to, um, to force a lot of mid-rangers, you know, times where he should have passed the ball and the shot clock was winding down, so I guess he was taking desperation mid-rangers, like, like step backs. But like you mentioned, yeah, he's it's gonna get better. He was he's he wasn't playing the role that he will be um, asked to have during the regular season, doing a lot of ball handling and whatnot. But yeah, definitely kind of interesting that the Magic are just like, yeah, you're the man. I mean, they should be saying that number one pick. But at the same time, you probably got like Jalen Suggs, who. who I'm sure they they kind of were, like, catering to him last year, saying, oh, you're the new guy. You're the man right now. But now it's like, oh, mm. and get someone who was drafted much higher than you, drafted number one. Yeah, you're, you're not the number one guy anymore. You're not the most important guy to develop. So, yeah, I, I, I'd imagine they're not going to be a lottery team this year you would think Bancaro would help them a lot more but you you never know sometimes a single guy can turn a franchise around like we have seen with Luka Doncic before so maybe Bancaro will be this guy let's move on to Chet Holmgren number two Oklahoma City Thunder he's from Gonzaga Sometimes I was confusing him with Pokashevsky on the floor. I would say he he looked more polished compared to Bancaro in Summer League. He looked a little more comfortable out there. I think he played an extra game. I think he might have played three games where Bancaro played two. From what I noticed with Chet, he... Uh, could could uh, work on the decision making when it comes to passes. Has a very nice three point shot. Has a good shot selection. But the big thing, Zach, this guy's a monster in the paint on both sides, offense and defense. He was just swatting shots. What did you notice? Whether there was any growth in summer league compared to his time at Gonzaga or did this just look like the same guy but now with some NBA talent that's an interesting question so I would say that I expected him to look a little bit lesser than he looked at Gonzaga honestly wow he he looked like the same kind of player to me Um, and again similar to Bancaro it seemed like the Oklahoma City Thunder kind of gave him the keys a little bit in the summer league. It might not be completely that way in the regular season. I feel like 
Orlando's roster in comparison is maybe a little bit more talented than Oklahoma City at this time. Um, so you got a guy like Shea Gilgis Alexander that's going to run that team, mm-hmm. whereas maybe Bancaro could step in and be the leader. But yeah, as far as what I saw at Gonzaga compared to the summer league, similar stuff. You know, obviously against more talented players. He played in a small conference, so most of his college season was not played against guys that are going to play professional basketball. So he totally looked like a monster at Gonzaga. He played next to another five-man that's going to play in the NBA probably next year, Drew Timmy, who's coming back for his senior year. So maybe that hindered his progress a little bit at Gonzaga as far as work in the post, but maybe that helped him develop that perimeter game a little bit more. And he was definitely the rim protector and – Working on that ball handling, man, he's not going to play point forward either, but he looks very fluid out there for a seven-footer with the Mm -hmm. basketball like you saw. Yeah, very unique body. He, I actually, I assumed he was European. (laughs) Probably probably pretty bad to think that, but uh, no, isn't he from... Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota. As a matter of fact, we were talking about Jalen Suggs before. He and Jalen Suggs played in high school together they played aau ball together in minnesota oh yeah and that's why there were rumors that the magic were gonna pick him number one yeah reunite them yeah that's the interesting they they didn't do that but um yeah he uh, he's just gonna have the green light as well like you mentioned it's gonna be shea gilgis alexander running the show for the most part, but they're going to make sure Holmgren gets a lot of looks. Um, and then Giddy as well. He'll, he'll be out there. He's more of a distributor though. Great player though. So I think, I think maybe some Thunder fans were a little bummed that they kind of fell out of the top three last year. I think Giddy was like the number fifth or sixth pick. It's kind of shocking that the Thunder uh, drop that low after they were clearly tanking even before the season started so i'm sure fans were kind of bummed out but you know giddy is a very nice player it seems like he has good chemistry with chet as we saw in summer league so that's very exciting but yeah, I, I'd say this guy this guy has a green light. I think the Thunder are still gonna be a pretty weak team, probably gonna be a bottom three team again, but I think they're just gonna be a lot more fun to watch now with Chet. This is sort of the year for him to get his bearings, get used to the, the NBA game before uh, the Thunder uh, you know start planning on what to do with the roster, what they plan on doing with all these first-round picks that they have. Jeez, Louise. I think it's like it's well over a dozen in the next five years. Pretty sure, which is insane. It's not enough roster spots. So, yeah, they got to figure out who they want to keep, who they want to get rid of. But, yeah, I would definitely say the Magic are going to be the better team this year. Um just because, you know, they they have a lot more veteran guys on the team who are going to get minutes. Where the Thunder, they're just going to throw out all the young guys and see who's a rotation player and who's not. 
I think SGA is going to love having this guy to throw lobs to, as yeah. well as Giddy. Giddy yeah, can Giddy. throw lobs all yeah. the time. I yeah. think that's going to be great for the whole party there. We'll see what they put around those guys, but that sounds like a good start to a good young core. SGA, Giddy, Chet Holmgren, mm-hmm. go from there. See what you can find. Exactly. Yeah. But I did take notice of OKC giving a guy named Kenrich Williams a four-year extension last week, and when I saw this headline, I thought to myself, this is really NBA news? Like, <laughs> making the front page of ESPN.com slash NBA? I was really surprised to see it there. It felt like kind of an under-the-radar type of move, I would say. Yeah. I don't know what kind of a season he had last year, but to get a four-year extension, he must have had a decent year. Yeah, so I guess things are slow right now because the league is wait, waiting to see what um, – Durant and Kyrie are going to do what the Lakers are going to do with Westbrook if they're going to do anything. So it's kind of a holding pattern right now. So meanwhile, whenever there's any kind of NBA free agency news, any kind of extension, yeah, it's going to be Kenrich Williams getting the front page. So this guy, he was a throw-in in the Steven Adams trade. Steven Adams got traded to the Pelicans. This was before he went to the Grizzlies. And I think in order to match the salaries correctly, they the Pelicans had to add their... Uh, they had to sign and trade their two-way players over to OKC for the deal to go through. So... I think it was uh, Josh Gray. Is that an NBA guy? Josh Gray, Wake Forest, I believe. Yeah, yes. Josh Gray and Zylan Cheatham. Cheatham. I've heard the name. I can't yeah. place the college at the moment. I, it's like I can I can visualize the names. I just I don't know how to say them. I've never heard them. <laughs> oh no, Josh Gray, LSU. Yes, LSU. Yep. Okay. So it was him, and then they needed Kenrich Williams as well, who was at the very end of the Pelicans bench. So, I mean, as soon as the trade went down, I think everyone assumed that the two-way guys, uh, Gray and uh, Zylan, were going to get waived as well as Kenrich Williams, but uh, Williams proved his worth. They kept him for longer than anyone expected, and I I wasn't sure if they were going to bring him back. I was shocked to hear that he got an extension. But, I mean, he is a decent player. It's just, you almost wonder, is he too old for the core? Like, he might be, what, 24, 25? Which uh, really isn't that old. But, you know, they must really like him. So he could also be a very good locker room presence. That's another reason why, you know, teams might sign these guys, even though, you know, fans are watching these guys on the court. And you're like, okay, he's all, he's all right, but you're going to pay him that much? Um, so... Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting that you did that. Um, so while I was uh, I was browsing OKC's Reddit here, <laughs> I found a funny post. So <laughs> the fans are talking about how next year, I think it's it's next year when he's going to be available for the NBA draft. Bronny James, is he going to be eligible for next year's draft? Because he's, the fans are saying next year we're getting Bronny. And then LeBron's going to come to us. Okay, so I'm not going to act like an expert on (laughs) the NBA draft rules at this point because 
they my, change my beloved year. Kentucky Wildcats kind of got burned a little bit this year by some loopholes with that rule as far as Shadon Sharp, who will cover at a later time in this yeah, draft, going yeah, next number episode, seven next episode. to Portland. So I believe you could probably find a loophole to get into next year's draft, but theoretically I think he should be eligible for the 2024 draft, if I'm not mistaken, oh, unless you can find a loophole. Okay. So, yeah, this fan's probably in But on that note, Bronny James is not ranked nearly as high as his father was either. So I don't That's think he's the I player yeah. that LeBron was, and he, unless he really develops in this next year or two. So to hinge your hopes on that, OKC, you've got some nice guards already. Bronny James is a guard. I don't know if he's stacking up to SGA and Giddy. Yeah, soon. yeah. Josh Giddy could very well be a better player than John, uh, Bronny James will be in 100%. the NBA. Yes, so there's that. There's that. So, yeah. Holmgren, going to be fun to watch. Maybe we'll catch OKC when they're on ESPN one out of the two times that they'll be on this season on national TV. Okay, and we will now move on to the guy who everyone thought was going number one. Vegas thought he was going one, that's for sure. <laughs> Woj thought he was earlier the day of the draft. It wasn't until a half an hour before that uh, Woj got his reporting corrected. Jabari Smith. This guy, from what I saw, looks very polished compared to the other two. Like, he... He... He, he looked like... Uh, He's, he's been in the league for a couple years, just watching his summer league highlights. And the only indication that I could really tell that he was a rookie was because of his build. He's, he's still a bit thin. He could, uh, and I'm sure he will, definitely put on muscle for sure. Did, who do you think had the best summer league out of these three? Because I'm going to say... Smith looked pretty good compared to the other guys. I can't give you a great answer on that because I didn't really watch all the games. I know you didn't either, but you've probably seen more highlights than I actually saw games. Um, I know you mentioned Holmgren played one more game than Bancaro, but I will also offer you, I think you were referring to the Las Vegas Summer League. Mm -hmm. Chet Holmgren played two dynamite games in the Utah Summer League mm. leading up to that, too. I think he had eight blocks in one game. I think yeah. he had like a 26, 12, and eight block game in the Utah Summer League. Mm -hmm. So I might lean Holmgren. I don't know that for sure because I didn't see all the games and I didn't see the numbers, uh, but all three were pretty solid. And, yeah, Jabari Smith, I think Houston won a couple games out in Vegas, and, and I think they beat – Chet Holmgren head-to-head, -head, if I'm not mistaken. That is one of the games that I did watch Okay, was Houston and OKC, and it looked like OKC had the game, and Jabari and Houston took it away late. So oh, I could roll man. with that. That's a good argument. Okay. All right, yeah. So could be Jabari, could be Holmgren. Really depends. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. The top three picks, all pretty much power forwards. We were talking about this. Um, 
you think out of these three, the uh, the only guy who out of these three who has a who has the potential to go to another position is Jabari Smith. You think he could be a three someday? I say that only because Chet Holmgren is seven one. Chet Holmgren definitely has the wing skill set. He's got the jump shot. He's got the ball handling ability. But you're not going to see many guys that are 7'1 primarily playing on the wing. It's possible, but I do see Chet Holmgren probably bulking up at some point and playing more in the post than he does right now. That's not to say that he won't play on the wing at all. He definitely will. Mm -hmm. But Jabari Smith is about 6'10". And like you said, thin of build right now but has great feet, very good movement on the perimeter, polished, like you said, great jump shot. He's got that high release point. Reminds me a little bit of Kevin Garnett. You know how KG had that high release point mm -hmm. on his jump shot? Oh, yeah. If you want to compare, you know, Foreman, nobody's going to be Kevin Garnett, and I'm not saying he's going to be that. Mm -hmm. but the jump shot reminds me a little bit of that. Nobody's going to block it on the wing. So, yeah, I would say... Jabari Smith is going to play a lot of minutes on the perimeter. Holmgren will also do that early, but I think at 7-1, eventually you got to move down in the post a little bit more. Yeah. Hey, he looked, he, he looked very good, i got to say. It's going to be interesting to see what Houston does with their starting lineup. Uh, at least four people are very obvious. I think you're going to start Jalen Green. You're going to have Kevin Porter Jr., Jay Sean Tate, they just paid, so I think they're going to keep him at the three. Then you got Smith, but who's the five man? I'll tell you who the five man is. It's Boban. Boban. He's the only center on the roster right now, believe it or not. He's the only guy taller than Jabari Smith. I don't think he'll actually be the starting center, but um, we'll see. They're, they'll probably sign some youngster, someone to develop. Or they have uh, they have Sangoon. I guess he could play. Yeah, they took a couple big men first round last year that you liked, uh, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Sangoon. Sangoon's pretty good. They got Marquis Smith. I mean, Marquis Chris, but he's pretty young as well. Who, uh, Taryn Eason? Another first-round pick that we'll get to this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, they got him. They had a nice draft. Yeah. He's also more of a wing, though. Could okay. play the four, but probably three in the NBA. Okay. Yeah, so I think this is also going to be a bottom three team, but fortunately, I think out of, of the teams that had uh, top three picks, the Magic are going to be the best team next year, and the Thunder and the Rockets. It's probably going to be more of the same, just a little more exciting now that they got you know some new young talent in there. I, uh, I'm curious, though, because it seemed like these top three picks could have been interchangeable between teams. I mean... We all thought it was going to go one way earlier, draft day, and then half an hour before, Woj is like, oh, never mind. I'm going to put the pressure on you here, Greeny. Who do you think's going to have the best career out of these three, if you had to guess? Well, how about this? First of all, are all these guys going to be all-stars in the future? 
All three? I would say 100%, yes. Wow, okay. See, it's a good draft. You can't say that about the top three of every draft. Yeah. These guys are all can't miss, I would say. Okay. Okay. So they're all going to be all-stars. But who's going to have the really good 10-year career out of these guys? Who's going to have the best 10 years? So it's a little bit tricky, and I'll offer you a couple different layers to it. I think Bancaro might have the best rookie year. Okay. I'm sure that Chet Holmgren probably has the highest upside. My gut tells me that Jabari Smith is the best of the three. Wow. And if I was GM picking number one this year, I would have taken Jabari Smith. But again, the way I just laid that out for you, there's pros to all these guys. These guys are all going to be excellent Mm -hmm. players in the NBA. I think... Physically, Bancaro's the most ready his rookie year. He's built for it. Chet Holmgren hopefully puts on some pounds at some point. You don't want to bulk him up too much that it takes away from his, his foot speed at 7-1, his speed and quickness. Mm-hmm. And with that foot speed and quickness at 7-1, he's got the highest upside. I think Jabari Smith seems to have the best demeanor of the three, though. This guy is a leader. He's probably in the perfect situation for him. As you said on draft night, he looks so disappointed to not yeah. go number one overall. Watching this guy all season this past season, he cares as much as anybody. Like a lot of times when you see these guys play in college basketball, these guys that know that they're one and done, they kind of like shake off a loss and you know it doesn't really affect them too right, much. Right. You could see at the end of a game where his team is down five or seven with 10 or 15 seconds to go, he is scrapping for every play at the end of a game, getting in his teammates' faces, really trying to fire people up. This guy really cares about his craft, and I think that's going to be something that helps him as much as you know anybody. And again, I gave you the Kevin Garnett jump shot comparison. I think he could develop into a leader like Kevin Garnett was back in his his heyday. This guy has that kind of demeanor, I would say. Wow. So, again, nobody's Kevin Garnett, but I feel like this guy's got the intensity on that kind of level. Wow. That's, I mean, that's really good to hear amongst youngs. Because I was a little worried when I saw him disappoint. I was like, oh, man, this... You know, he overreacting to this? I mean, my God, you're still in the top three, but, you know, yeah. maybe it's because he's such a competitive guy. That's how I see it, yes. And that just put a fire in his belly. Yep. And, you know, maybe he's going to use that as motivation and going to show, uh, I'm going to make all these, these uh, or the other two GMs look stupid for not picking me. I think that's more what it is. That's the way I saw it after watching him play all year. Because, again, these these... I hate to call them divas, but some of these guys that are one and done are kind of diva kind of guys. They know, oh, it doesn't really matter in college basketball whether I win or lose. This guy was fighting and scrapping every single second of every game for Auburn this past year. He's a real leader. Dang. I would really want someone like that on my team. If only Tatum had that pet. Whoops, did I say that? I'm just kidding. We love Tatum. He's great. He's a good player. Uh, 
who who's technically the who ha, who technically had the best college stats amongst the three when you well it definitely wasn't Holmgren okay he played in so many blowouts and like I gave you earlier he played next to another NBA big who's gonna be in the NBA next year mm-hmm. so that kind of took some some stats away from him it was probably close between Bancaro and Jabari okay um I can't tell you off the top of my head, but it was it was probably very very close between those two. All right. Well, I'm fascinated to see who's uh, gonna have the best rookie year. Who's gonna look the best in five years? Hey, let's see if uh, you're right about Jabari Smith having the best career. You know, we'll probably be listening to this like maybe ten years from now and. Could very well be that you were correct. We gotta listen to our older episodes more. We get we gotta go back in the archives. I think we have them all the way back to 2017. We did record one for the 2016 draft. It was with a app podcast service that is no longer around, so it removed our file, and we no longer have it. But. I, we we should do uh, we should do like a you know a look back at at things we said Ma- mainly things you said <laughs> because you're, you're the one who actually watched these guys in college. You know, I think about that sometimes. And back in the early days of this podcast, I did go back and listen to some of them from time to time, like a year or two after. And the thought that came to mind is, wow. You could put together a few clips of great commentary, and then you could put together a few cl- clips of very off commentary, let's say. Like, I remember being kind of wrong about Trey Young. I thought, eh, I don't know about this guy. And here he is, an NBA All-Star. But Hey, you looked pretty right the first half of his rookie season. I saw him play live, actually. I went to a Hawks game. I wanted to see Vince Carter play before he retired. And uh, I'm just like, oh, God, this guy's all over the place. He's, he's shaky, not looking great. But, uh, yeah, he, he improved very quickly. What a... What a huge turnaround he had, and I mean, now he's like a megastar, basically, amongst the youngsters. But there's several of those. You could definitely string together a few of the wrong and a a few of the right as well. Just like these GMs, man. So I don't feel bad about it. yeah, man. You should be in one of these front offices, Greeny. Haraliba. Yeah, we'll, we'll put all the good ones together. And, uh, yeah, we'll send it to Mark Cuban. We'll DM him. We'll DM all of them. <laughs> we'll be like, all right, what did this guy say about Trey Young? Oh, we lost that. We lost that draft. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have the 2018 draft one anymore. All right, so that's the top three. Stay tuned for the next episode. Next, Whenever I release it, probably going to be a week from now. For, uh, we're going to do uh, the next eight guys, I believe. We're going to do like four through 11. So stay tuned. And our movie of the week is the first Disney film on the podcast. Probably the last. It's The Black Hole from 1979. 
I had known about the movie for years, but never checked it out. I actually knew about the theme song before even watching it. The theme's actually really good. It was done by John Barry. But uh, looking at the cast, it includes Robert Forster, Ernest Borgnine, Anthony Perkins, and Yvette Mimiu. Mimiu. Not sure if I'm saying her name right, but I know her from the original Time Machine film from 1960. So seeing this cast, I was like, man, I gotta check it out. So I watched it. Gotta be honest, wasn't very impressed by the first half of the film. But as things got moving along, um, started seeing a little bit more action and special effects. I uh, realized that it wasn't exactly a stinker or anything like that. So, uh, you know, like I do uh, with watching most movies, I looked up the IMDb trivia when I was finished with the film. And I was completely floored by some of the things that I read. Uh, things that happened behind the scenes. I... Um, I also watched a couple YouTube vids on uh, the history of uh, the movie itself and uh, realized quickly that all the pre-production that went into this movie was, you know, more interesting than the movie itself. But anyways, I'll give you the plot. It's a spaceship with uh, the cast I mentioned above uh discovering another spacecraft that went missing years ago i guess um yvette's dad was on the ship so i believe that was the main reason why they wanted to investigate this other spacecraft in the first place i don't know it was, a, it was, it was kind of in and out if we're being honest so uh along with their robot which was named Vincent, uh, which is like an acronym for, I don't know, it was something stupid. The crew uh, heads aboard this abandoned ship, having no idea what they're about to find. Uh, turns out it's just German actor Maximilian Schell and a bunch of evil robots. Oh yeah, and we also discover that the old crew that was originally in the ship is uh, now dead. The only surviving member is uh, Maximilian Shell. So, uh, yeah, Anthony Perkins uh, ends up getting a drill to the heart by a robot. Spoiler alert. And the chaos begins. And, uh, oh yeah, they're also very, 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 very close to a black hole. Hence the title. I'm, uh clearly spoiling a lot of this uh so you know i'm just gonna give you the ending um you know there's uh there's a lot of action going on uh robots whatnot killing each other but anyways they uh end up escaping from this insane ship and uh their surviving uh crew members end up going through the black hole where there's a sequence uh, which seems heavily inspired by that um, trippy sequence from 2001 A Space Odyssey. But there's, there's a lot of weird things going on. There's, 
It's like visions of heaven and hell. At one point, it looks like we're following an angel to heaven. And then in hell, the the evil robots in the movie, one of them appears to be the devil. I don't know what they were really going for with this. It was uh it was kind of strange. I mean, it uh, I mean, it looked kind of cool, but still it really made no sense. It's also weird to see this in a Disney film. Um and uh yeah, that's it. Uh, the very end of the movie it looks like they're heading into some other unknown planet. It doesn't appear to be Earth. It could be Earth, who knows. It's very ambiguous. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's about it. It, uh, it underperformed at the box office. Clearly, they, the, the robot in the movie, Vincent, there's another robot, uh, I think his name is Bob. Those guys, uh, is voiced by Slim Pickens, and, oh my god, I can't think of who, uh, the other, the other voice was. But anyways, they, they looked a little hokey. Because, uh, I mean, you know, the concept of the movie, it's not really a plot for kids, but the robots looked dopey, if we're being honest. They they looked a bit phony. Clearly, they the, the plan was to sell merchandise. You know, they, they'd uh, take the robots from the movie, sell them as toys thinking the movie's going to be super successful. All of a sudden, kids are going to flock to all the toy stores buying all the Vincent robot toys. It didn't happen. Didn't happen. Um, so, I mean, at first glance, it seems like this was Disney's answer to Star Wars after the success of the first film. Uh, ironically, Disney would acquire Star Wars. Um years later decades later but it turns out that this project was actually in development hell years before star wars uh, even came out so originally this was supposed to be like a disaster type movie it was pitched back 19 in um, 1972 as kind of like the poseidon adventure but in space so, long story short, the studio kept passing it off to you know, different writers since no one could really agree on what kind of direction to go in it. It also wasn't even called the Black Hole back then. It was called, it, it, it had like 60 different titles, but I mean, that was before they even thought of naming it the Black Hole. I don't even think there was a Black Hole in the original scripts. So... Then, uh, I mean, it wasn't until the success of Star Wars in 1977 where they were like, damn, we, uh, we gotta get this, uh, movie made. Space movies are the thing right now. So, yeah, there was a bit of controversy since the script wasn't very kid-friendly, you know, like typical Disney movies are. Turns out, uh... The head of production at Disney, who happened to be Walt Disney's son-in-law, shocker, uh, wanted to change the Disney image a little bit. He wanted to prove that Disney movies could have a little bit of a bite to them. You know, they weren't all wimpy children movies. This one was going to shock people. 
because they were going to rate it PG. That's not a pun. People were actually up in arms because a Disney movie was going to be rated PG back in 1979. I said, like, who cares? So, um... Some random interesting facts that stood out to me. Um, I read, you know, random trivia things. Uh, yeah, so Disney uh, was inspired to create Touchstone Pictures, um, partly because of this movie, you know, so that they could release more adult type films. Not, not, not adult type films. <laughs> I mean, like movies. Not for kids. How about that? They wanted to make movies that that weren't kid-friendly as well. And, you know, they, they wanted to have a, a studio. They like, a different banner to release them from. Uh, some other trivia. Oh, yeah, also, uh, back in the day, all studios apparently did their special effects in-house, which I really never thought of because nowadays... All the special effects are, you know, outsourced to different production companies. But back in the day, each studio would actually have their own special effects division, like, on the studio lot. So, uh, basically, this all changed by the 80s. So, this was really one of the last films to... Um, even incorporate doing their like own special effects within the studio uh, some funny trivia I came across uh, there was another actress hired before Yvette I think her name was Jackie something something I don't know poor poor girl poor girl she uh, had to cut her hair she had long hair, but I guess in order to make the non-gravity scenes work, um, I, I, I guess, long story short, she was distraught because she had to cut her hair. I guess when they did the gravity scenes, the the long hair would become like poofy or whatever they 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 could I don't know you think they could just use a little bit of hairspray but I guess not so they wanted everyone to have short hair and there's there was only one woman in the cast so she had to cut her hair and this original actress loved her long hair she loved her locks and. Uh, basically, uh, she was like, okay, the only person who's gonna cut my hair is my stylist, and we're gonna do it right here, right now. And she kept cutting a little bit of hair off, and then going back to the, the director, and saying, okay, how's this? And then he'd say, nope, gotta be shorter, it's gotta, gotta be substantially shorter. So... She would cut a little more, and every time this this hairstylist was cutting her hair, she drank a little bit of wine to the point where she got shit hammered, shit faced hammered drunk. 
And uh, then she drove home from the studio lot. She crashed her car, ended up in the hospital, and got recast because she had injuries, I guess, and she wasn't able to do the film. It's also very irresponsible to to drive drunk, so maybe that's why they fired her. Uh, some more trivia. The funniest one off the top of my head. So, I, as someone was hired on the film, I he might have been like an effects supervisor. Maybe he he was like the one of the writers who was. Uh, I don't know why he was on set, but anyways. He, he did have an important role on the film. So during uh, lunch one day, he's sitting at a table with all these other crew members around him. And he pitches to them a rated X version of all the, uh, the, the uh, Disney characters, Disney cartoon characters in one film. Like, an, like a, a, a porno Mickey Mouse. Walt Disney's, uh, I think it was his son, was at a table nearby and overheard this and fired the guy on the spot. Uh, I, uh, I don't know, it's just super random. Like, that is stuff. Who reports on stuff like this? I guess it was one of the other crew members at the table. But imagine, imagine witnessing this. Like this insane idea. I don't know why someone would pitch this. But to actually fire the guy for possibly making a, a joke or talking about something he wasn't serious about. I don't know. 70s. 70s were a different time. So, um, anyways, I... Uh, I hate to say it, but the stories of the people who got fired from this movie are more interesting than the movie itself. But I'm still going to give it the Alice rating. Three stars out of four. Although uh, the effects are uh, kind of hokey. The robots are wimpy. The evil robots, clearly it's a person in a suit. When they're floating, they're on strings, yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, there's still a certain charm to it. There's a charm. Um, the, la the last third of the movie, it was entertaining enough. And I, I, was really, I was really on the fence about this. But I think it was that last third of the movie with all the action, everything going on. Um, that was just enough to push it over the goal line into Alice rating territory. So, I mean, I watching the first half hour of the movie, I mean, I don't know, maybe put an action sequence at the beginning. It was so boring. It's people on a ship. It's, uh, they're, they're just talking. It's like, uh, okay, do something. You, you're all great actors, but... We don't care. We, we want some action, you know? It's a big budget movie. Show us something. I don't know why we have to wait a, a damn hour until we get some actual cool set... Well, you know, action going on in the set pieces. 
So, um, yeah, I'll say if you're into like sci-fi movies, spaceship movies, whatever, if you're, if you like space, any movie to do with space, then definitely you gotta check this out. I'd say if you're a big fan of black holes, yeah, you should probably watch this because they go through a black hole. Is it scientifically accurate? Apparently not. Uh, apparently the <laughs> the uh, the guy who uh, uh, you know they hired a guy to like write a a book about the movie based on the script. You know how they movies get released to theaters and then they'll you know to supplement the movie they'll release like a a, a novel to go with it. Well, I guess the guy who wrote the, the novel to the movie was appalled by how inaccurate the science was. So, I bid. Yeah, don't, don't expect this to, uh, to be uh, scientifically accurate at all. Let's just say that. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting relic of its time. So, that's that. Alice rating, three stars. There's charm to it. Thank you for tuning in. We'll have the draft picks. I think it's 4 through 11. The 2022 draft next episode. But for now, enjoy the hip-hop of the week. This is a discussion of a language. But many white Americans, as well as, as, well as some blacks, attach a stigma to the black way of talking. Yeah. It was written in the books of Europeans, we were savage That our history was insignificant and mine's below average But how can one diminish the worth of the most imitated culture on this earth? Fast forward to 2000 and now, you see it everywhere you look Speech, music, fashion, and style, it's black dialogue Go ahead kid, try it on, it's much harder to master than precision with firearms Corny niggas switch it up and rent it to Viacom But it was taught to me early on by my mom Master yourself for maximum outreach potential Respect that you get from that will grow exponential preferential treatment brings us heat when it only goes to those who rock the diamonds in sequence they invite the kiddies to the video show to watch the fake titty models all act like hoes i guess it goes the more ignorance the more press but everywhere i look i'm seeing black people with more stress but does that mean we should be shucking and jiving fucking and niving just to keep our bank accounts thriving see i walk the path my elders laid out because acting like a monkey for white folks is played out i get my own money on my own time Got heat for everybody. Watch the microphone burn. Traditional education seems only to systematically perpetuate their cultural plight. Let me tell you about my niggas nowadays. Nowadays, niggas acting like slaves because it pays many ways. A, they get the pussy. B, they get the car. C, the jewels around their neck, but they demise isn't far-fetched. Step with that Uncle Tom fucking pawn action and my TV's always off because I see something truly black then. Aw, shit. Got a call from Brother Malcolm awaking from the grave. He's asking what the fuck happened. I said these niggas all want homes in the Hamptons. It's a minstrel show, so they do what white man asked them. Throw the money at the screen that other brothers 
Bills ain't catching. Yes, hell is frozen over. Rest in peace. Thanks for asking. We'd rather teach each other how to fire your chrome than to buy your home. There's power in the land that we own. You need capital to start to win in capitalism. Take the money from the sales and buy some places for living. Rather black landlords and white chalk on the floor. Our mentality's the casualty is keeping us poor. And the poor teach their kids how to work. Rich teach their kids how to invest. Hence we're dying from stress. And the rhythm of the drum shines its own sun. My father said, son, think a brighter day is ever gonna come. I said, pops, rock a beatbox. And I'ma empty out my mind cause I'm around till I drop. Yo, Martin and Malcolm knew it. Black dialogue. Grandma Moses drew it. Black dialogue. Stevie Wonder seen it. Black dialogue. Yeah. Many game to steam with. Black dialogue. Jim Brown ran with. Black dialogue. Huey Newton had a plan with. Black dialogue. Chuck D took a stand for. Black dialogue. KRS is the man with. Black dialogue. Langston Hughes mastered. Black dialogue. The whole world is after. Black dialogue. Yeah. The whole world is after. Black dialogue. The whole world is after. Black dialogue.
Profit maker later in post with them Adidas that Bruce wore, stay in the juice bar. All I know if you saw me, you thought I was broke. Black yo, I been hustling since niggas was busting guns and scuffling and jumping niggas over some coats. We played the SNS rooftop, Latin quarter polo posts. Who hung out with all the apers and goats? They was busting that soup Up in 54 Underground Parrot and Q Made man with the gray shams Rapping the blue Stay flam every day fam Stacking my loot 80 grams in the cake pan Packages blue Sipping passion fruit Alizé and back of the ooh